0: Okay, how many of you know someone who you would consider to be an impatient person? An impatient person. How many of you brought that person with you this morning? A show of hands. Just kidding. You know, I don't think I'd be uh, out of line in saying that all of us know at least one person uh, who is low on patience. You know, a person who has what we call the proverbial short fuse. And on the other hand, those who have the patience of Job are few and far in between. And that's why when I hear of someone who fits that category, I cannot wait to share his life with all of us so that we can learn from this man who had the patience of Job. His name is Stumpy. And Stumpy and Martha would go to the state fair every week. Every year, Stumpy would say to Martha, Martha, I'd like to ride in that there airplane. And every year, Martha would say, I know Stumpy, but that airplane costs $10. And $10 is $10. Well, one year, Stumpy finally said to Martha, she said, you know, I'm 71 years old and I've been coming to this fair for 40 years and I want to ride in that there airplane. And she said, Stumpy, $10 is $10. And the pilot happened to overhear this particular conversation and decided to offer a challenge to Stumpy and Martha. And he said, listen, I'll take you up in the plane and if you don't say a word during the entire flight, not one word, not one peep, then I won't charge you anything. So they thought, that's a pretty good deal. So Stumpy and Martha, they get in the plane, and up the pilot goes, and all of a sudden, man, he starts doing all these acrobatic, aerobatic tricks. He's flipping, he's diving, he's flipping upside down, he's diving to the ground, he's pulling back up, he's falling backwards, and man, he's just giving them a ride of their lifetime. Nothing's coming out of Stumpy or Martha. He goes and he does it again, and after about an hour of flying, sure enough, he lands the plane, he turns around to Stumpy and he said, man, you know what, with all the moves I put on, I was convinced that I'd hear you yell. And Stumpy said, you know, there was a time where I almost did. He said, when was that? When I did this flip or this roll? And he said, no, no, no. Well, when I went backwards like this, when I dove to the ground? No, it wasn't any of those times. He said, well, when were you about to yell? He said, well, I almost yelled when Martha fell out. But, but $10 is $10. Isn't that great? Now, Stumpy's a patient man. Or maybe he's just frugal, I don't know, between one or the other, but stump, he's a patient fellow. On a little bit more serious note, uh, we're we're coming quickly to the end of a series of messages that have focused our attention on growing up or becoming mature as Christians. As has been mentioned repeatedly throughout this series, God's goal for every one of us is that we would grow in our faith. His desire is that his children become, as the Bible says, conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We would put it in the common vernacular that God's desire for every one of us is that we become more like Jesus, that as people see our lives, we reflect our Lord. And so as we look at all of this in our passage today, we're going to learn that a Christian who is growing to be more like Jesus is patient if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5, as we look at verses 7 through 12. A Christian who is to be more like Jesus is patient. Now, if you thought last week was convicting and relevant, then I think that you'll probably find the same is true of today. In James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, we learn that we are to be growing beyond impatience. Growing beyond impatience. Now, for those of you who have already looked at your watch to see what time it is, this is going to be brutally long for you. But uh, on the other hand, if you're here to learn and to hear what God has to say about how we can become more like Jesus and being patient in our life, then I'm assuming and I'm hoping that this time is going to fly by for you. So in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, we read these words. It says, Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. In James 5, verses 7 through 12, this passage turns from the riches that he addressed last time to the restlessness that he addresses this time. So from riches to restlessness, there's a transition that takes place here. In our study last time, we learned of the subtle sin of materialism and how a passion or a love for money or material things can turn even believers away from God and his truth. First Timothy 6 says that those who love money or the love of money is the root of all evil and some longing for it have even wandered away from the truth, have gone off that straight and narrow path that God says, I want you to live this way and we wander away from the truth and go in different directions. In James chapter 5, uh, up before that, we saw that there were evidences or clues that we have become materialistic in how we think. And some of the clues were with that, that, uh, materialism, which we, we noted was a sinful, uh, sinful attitude toward, toward wealth or the things that we have, the evidence of that was we saw that there were those who did not honor uh, did not honor their debts. They were guilty of hoarding before God. God had blessed them and they kept everything for themselves, never asking what God's will was in their life for the things that he had given them or has given us. We see that hoarding was one of those evidences. Using others was another. Perverting justice where we would take and we would pervert what God says is right or wrong for the sake of, what, lining our pockets in some way or getting some benefit from it. We see that indulgence or living excessively in verse 5 is another evidence of it. And so as we look at all these, we begin to realize that perverting justice, excess, indulgence, such behavior can lead to impatience on the part of those who are victimized by such behavior in the lives of others. And so it's a natural transition, as we'll see, to go from that, that... problem of materialism, that sin of materialism and all that is associated with it, to impatience on the part of those of us who are experiencing such injustice in our life. So James, what he does in this particular passage, uh, defines the essence of patience. He will also give some examples of patience. And thirdly, as part of the, the outline that we're going to look at, there's going to be some evidence of patience in our life as we are maturing in our faith. So we'll just take a look at it Very simple outline Three points Shouldn't take long at all huh? (laughs) Number one The essence of patience The essence of patience We find here Notice what he says In verse 7 He says Be patient Therefore It's a command It's not an option It's no different Than the Ten Commandments There are many commandments In the word of God That says Hey this is what God's will is in our life In this particular case He says Be patient Therefore well, what's it there for? What's the connection that's there? In, in both, a, it, As we look at this, it's both a command and also a clue that shows that the previous passage that we discussed is now linked to this passage that's about to be introduced. There's a transition that's there. Or there, as, as it said, therefore, James has a direct connection to the coming judgment that he warned about that will take place on those who are doing what's wrong before God in the area of materialism. He's saying there's a coming judgment for those who are rich... And have a sinful attitude toward wealth, who pervert justice, who use others, who don't honor their debts, who are doing all the things that we just talked about. There is a judgment that's coming. And he's saying for those of us who may be victimized by such, be patient. Be patient. As we look at all this, we begin to realize that, you know, judgment is coming. Now, notice something that I didn't, I didn't get into last time, but I want you to notice it today as it applies to what we're talking about. In verse 5 says you've lived a lives or you've lived luxuriously uh, on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure says you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter what he was the indictment that God was making to those who had a wrong attitude toward wealth was that you know what your whole life you have lived to please yourself any money that you made any resources that came your way the only question you ever asked was what can i do you ever notice all these shows that are on now who wants to be a millionaire Uh, You know Anything that has to do with winning a bunch of money The first thing that they ask is What will you do with a million dollars And inevitably the first answer is what Something for themselves I will buy this for me Or I will pay off something I've already bought for me But very rarely do you ever hear anybody say anything other than It's going to go first to me And then we'll see what's left for everybody else And so that's why you root against those people No, just kidding Just want to see if you're still here. All right. But the bottom line is it's always me first. Well, what God was saying, what he's saying is this. Notice what he said. He says, you have lived a life of want and pleasure. You've done everything you want to do whenever you want to do it. Why? Because you could afford the monthly payments. That was always the, the criteria for every decision that you made. He goes, and you know what? You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. What's he talking about? Well, the celebration that we mentioned earlier about the prodigal son. What did he do? He went out and got the fatted pig. Cow. Good. Animal. It was an animal, some kind of animal. So it was a fatted cow. Okay, well, either way, you're, you're going to be offended by the next the next uh, transition here. And that is this. What he's saying, if we're guilty of that, is you are that fatted cow. You feel better about that? You'd rather be a pig. See, somebody going, I don't know. Pig's a little bit smaller. I don't know big. But he says, you are that fatted calf. You are the fatted calf with the, see, I was going to say apple in your mouth, but they don't do that to the calves, do they? But p- b- bottom line is this. God is saying, you know what? If you have a wrong attitude toward wealth, and you've perverted justice, and you've used other people, and you've lived for yourself, then you don't even know it, but you're the fatted calf that will be slaughtered on the day of judgment. That's the indictment. So as we tie all this together, we begin to realize this is very serious stuff. And so what God is saying is those who are on the receiving end of such mistreatment being used, maybe, you know, working and not getting paid or some other perversion of justice can easily become impatient with a system that would allow for such to take place. And when we get impatient with the system, we get impatient with God. In the book of Revelation, the saints who were martyred for faith in Jesus Christ ask God this question. How long is it going to be before you make things right. How long is it going to be before you allow those evildoers who have killed us get away with their evil? How long? What was God's answer to him? Just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. He didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. It's never gonna, there's never going to be justice. No, he said there will be justice. Payday one day. It is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment we will all be judged by God. For those who have put our faith and trust in Christ, we've mentioned that we will be judged according to the things that we do subsequent to faith in Christ. For the resources that God has put in our possessions, how we've used them to glorify God, and all those things, we will be judged. For those who have rejected Jesus Christ and what he offers as far as forgiveness and redemption and salvation and eternal life, you will stand before the great white throne judgment of God and you will be judged for your rejection of Jesus Christ and the way you lived your life will be the indictment against you. It'll be God's case against you. Living for wanton pleasure, living luxuriously, perverting justice, using others to get ahead, all of those things will be an indictment against you on that day. My encouragement to you, my my supplication to you, my, my, my begging of you, is that you never experience that judgment because God doesn't want you to be judged for sin because he sent Jesus Christ in your place to die on the cross. His encouragement to you is, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whoever, Whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The encouragement is that there is a way to escape that judgment, and if you are here or you're listening to this, my, my encouragement to you is that you take God for, for what he says, that his word is true, and that you drop down on your knees or you drop your heart and you humble yourself before God because a broken and contrite heart, God will never turn down. But he says that you would ask for forgiveness and you would believe that Jesus Christ came and died in your place, believing what God says, that he rose again from the dead to demonstrate he not only has the power to give life, but he has the power to forgive sin, that you would get right with God today because judgment is coming one day. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize that life is often filled with uh, injustice. Anybody who's in business knows that in in our culture today. We do work for people, we sign contracts. It doesn't even mean anything. When you get to the end of the job, they decide whether they're going to pay you or not. And then if they decide at the end they don't want to pay you, then what they do is they say, well, sue me. And we'll tie you up in courts for two or three years. We've waited two, two and a half years to get paid for jobs that we've done that there was no excuse other than the fact that they try to use a legal system to avoid their debts. And at the end of all that, you go, Lord, you know what? How long is it going to be before you make things right that are wrong in this life? Some of you have worked places, they've made you promises, they've promised a bonus for a certain performance, you've done it, and they go, ah, oh, we changed our mind. Now That's not going to happen. They promised you a job, as long as, quote, we're in business, you always have a job with us, until they decide that you don't. And you go, but that's not fair. That's wrong. We see people sitting in prisons all the time that are there because of perversion of justice. And they sit and they wait and they wonder, God, how can you allow this to happen to me? And if you've ever been on that short end of the stick, as we would say, then God's encouragement to you and to me is you know what he says to do? Be patient. Be patient. It comes from a compound Greek. It says a makros, which means long, and thimos means temper. And it means basically this God is saying, You be patient. You have a long, long temper. As opposed to what? A short one. You have a long temper. You consider the long term. You look long range. You have a long term perspective of things, not short term. You have a long fuse. Now, as I was running the other day and I was thinking about this and I was praying about it, I was like, Lord, wait a minute, what's a good illustration of a long fuse? And being the intellectual giant that I am, I came up with, you ever see Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner? See, that's just right down there where I could grasp onto And I'm like, I'm running, because I'm running, you know, so there's that little running thing going there. So there was all kind of actual association that took place that was, that was valid. And God's saying, hey, you remember like how Wiley e. Coyote would always go after the roadrunner and just want to destroy the roadrunner? And he's always had dynamite of some kind. He was going to blow him up. But it never failed because he always had what? He thought he had this real long fuse and the roadrunner would come along and he would cut the fuse or whatever and he'd light it and turn out the fuse was about this long and the thing would blow up in his hands or whatever. What that is is a picture of what God is saying is is true of many of us. Well, we want to get even with someone because of the injustice that we've suffered. And so instead of having a long fuse or a long temper or seeing things from God's perspective, we try to be the coyote with the dynamite in our hands and somehow or another, we are going to enact our own form of justice. God's saying, don't even think about it because you will destroy yourself. He's saying, be patient, therefore, connecting injustice to what he's saying, be patient. How did Jesus endure the cross? How did Jesus despise the shame? Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 tells us that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. How? For the joy that was set before him. He knew where it all led. He knew how it would all turned out. He saw the end of all of it and knew that the temporary suffering and affliction was worth the final glory. He knew that. We've read the book. We know how it ends. The Bible is like a movie that we see that flashes back to fill in all the details, but we know the end. We know that Jesus Christ is going to return triumphantly. We know that there will be justice that will be served for all of eternity. We know that every wrong will be righted and every tear will be wiped clean and every sorrow that we've ever had will find comfort. We know that because we have a long term or a long view of things. We see things from God's perspective. But when we are not patient, we've lost sight of that. When we are not patient, we're guilty of falling into the wily Coyote trap of trying to do things because we can't wait for God to make things right. He says, be patient. It's all going to work out okay. We know the end of the story. We know who wins. The battle belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says God. I know some of you are sitting here and you've got bitter hearts. I know because I've gone through the same thing you've gone through. I know exactly the struggles that take place when you see people who are perverting the system or taking advantage of you and you know it and they know it and everybody knows it and it seems like there's nothing you can do about it. But there is something you can do about it. You can be patient. You can trust God. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord and he has trampled out the vineyards where the grapes of wrath are stored. I love that. Preach it, brother. Love that. See, he will make all things right. We know how it all turns out. But but James, from a pragmatic standpoint, a very practical standpoint as we study the word, we notice that there are three things we can be doing in the present tense. And we're going to take a look at those three. Number one, we're to be productive. What should we be doing while we wait for God's justice? Hey, be productive. Be productive. We're not to sit idly by, twiddling our thumbs. We're to get busy doing what God has for us to do. Patience does not mean we do nothing. Patience, as we wait for the Lord's return, does not mean sitting around and doing nothing, seeing nothing, thinking nothing, and saying nothing. Biblical patience is not meant to result in what I would call passive Christianity. That's not taught anywhere in Scripture. That we just wait for God to do everything and we don't do anything? You'll never find that in the Word of God. In fact, he illustrates that truth right now by saying, look, here's the illustration for you that you can all understand. It's a word picture that God paints. And he says, you know what? Listen. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Behold, as an illustration, he says, look at the farmer. There's a great example illustration. He waits for the precious produce of the soil. He's patient about it until it gets the early and the late rain. You notice what he says? Watch a farmer. Be productive today. The farmer understands he's not going to reap the harvest tomorrow. There are many things, spiritually speaking, that when we sow those seeds today, it may be a long time before we ever see a harvest. For some of us, we may never see the harvest. The encouragement is for me as I teach the Word of God is as God's Word goes out, what? It never returns empty or void. It always goes out seeking God's purpose. So even though I may never live to see any change in any of your lives, in particular areas of your life that you may be struggling with, even though I may never see it, I am confident and I am encouraged that when the word of God goes out, God's doing a work in your life, as he does a work in my life. We may not see the results of any of it, but the farmer's patient, knowing if I sow seed today, one day there's going to be a harvest. Now what's interesting about the farmer is he realizes this, there are some responsibilities that are ours, and then there are others that are God's. Patience is recognizing and understand the difference between the two. You follow that? That's huge in understanding patience. The farmer's patience does not come from doing nothing, but from understanding his limitations. There are certain things God requires of me, and everything else he takes care of. You know when I get impatient? When I want to do what God's supposed to do, instead of doing what I'm supposed to do. God, I'm having a problem with your timing. So I think I'll go ahead and jump into the God category and try to take things into my own hands, and I'll take care of everything. Thank you very much for offering. How many of us find ourselves struggling in that area? See, patience comes not from doing, from doing nothing, but from understanding what our responsibilities are versus God's responsibility. Can you imagine As we're looking at all this, we realize and understand that what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime is be productive. When we struggle in business and we've got people that owe us money, you know what? I don't sit there and just go, oh, wow, when are we going to get paid? What are we supposed to be doing? Blah, 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 blah. You know why? Because we may never get paid. That may be God's choice. But you know what? We better be going out getting more work today because we've got to take care of business today. I can't be counting on something that may never happen or I can't be spending money that may take two years to collect. I better be doing something today because God wants us to be productive today. Today is the only day that God's given us. We don't even know if we have the next minute. It's a gift from God. God's saying, be productive today. Are you being productive today? Are you sitting around waiting for something that's supposed to happen maybe one day in the future that may never happen at all? Then you're missing the point. See, patience means we do what we're supposed to be doing today while we're trusting God to take care of the future. I like that. So funny. You know. And, 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 and there's, there's certain topics that when I come to them in Scripture, I cringe. Why? Because I already know God always has to teach me before I can teach anybody else. It's like, that's why when we're getting along real well in marriage, I don't even want to do a marriage series. (laughs) Hey, man, things are going good. We're getting along real good. Hey, you guys going to do a marriage series soon? No, probably not. (laughs) So, hey, God bless you. hope it all works out. (laughs) But, you know, all of a sudden, here's this patience thing, right? And so, we just get new floors put in our house. And uh, and Linda's walking into the kitchen one day And she goes, wow, the floor is warm She was in her bare feet The floor is warm That's not a real good sign, gentlemen, by the way I'm going, because the first few times I was like, "Ah, that's okay It'll go away Because I knew what we're going to So anyway, make a long story short There's a pipe that breaks under the slab of our house We just have new floors put in So the guy comes out and goes Well, we can jackhammer up all the floors And jackhammer it up we can uh, violate the vinyl sealant that's under there. and you know it might be a problem from now on. Or what we can do is we can go up into your bathroom, we can knock a hole all the way outside of your house, and we can reroute the pipes from upstairs and bring it all the way back down into the kitchen, even though the first run was only 15 feet to the water heater. But we can do that, and then all we've got to do is just kind of like chip out all the stucco on the back of your house, just knock all that out, bring it all down here, then we'll go ahead and run the pipes, then all you've got to do is restucco it and then repaint the whole back of the house, and that would probably be the easiest way to go. And as he's bombing me with all this, I'm, I'm answering phones, I'm getting all these calls, and then the, and the guy goes out to his truck and he comes back in and he goes, hey, by the way you know your right rear flat tire and your truck's flat <laughs> and, and, and it, right at that point what do you do you just laugh you just laugh well okay you know i know some things i'm supposed to do i know other things are in god's hands so it's like okay let's start knocking jackhammering out the back of the house and dealing with what we got to deal with and i'll get a compressor and pump up the truck hope i can get down to the gas station so they can fix the flatten and it and it's like you know what okay lord what are you trying to teach me through all this Well, there are some things you need to do and there are other things that are out of your hands and you trust me in those areas. Say, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the lesson. (laughs) Isn't that how you guys respond? Oh. Be patient. Be productive in the present. Number two, look at it. Be established. Notice what he says. In verse eight, you too be patient. What? Strengthening your hearts. Strengthening your hearts. Be established or be strengthened. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthening your heart means strengthening yourself spiritually so you can handle the, exter- the external pressure of the trials that one day will come to attack you. Did you follow that? On Friday, we went to a funeral of a friend of ours whose uh, father passed away in August. It was August 2nd. After a long battle with Alzheimer's disease, he died. Last week, her mother was getting ready to go to church, had a massive heart attack, had been been fine, nothing health-wise wrong with her, had a massive heart attack, and died. Within three months, our friend had to speak at both her father's funeral and at her mother's funeral. And as I sat and listened to her share how wonderful God is, and how God has a plan for our life and how both their mother and their father had believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins at separate times individually at some point in their lives, but understanding that when we're absent from the body that we're present with the Lord, and even though we mourn, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn with those who do have hope, knowing that they're in the presence of God at this very moment. But as she was sharing that, what was impressed upon me was that this was a young woman who had a strengthened heart because she had a dynamic loving, living, vital relationship with her Lord on a daily basis. She strengthened her heart by studying the Word of God. She strengthened her heart through prayer. She strengthened her heart through fellowship and encouragement with other believers. She she strengthened her heart. And because her heart was strong, she was ready for the day of trial and tribulation. I couldn't help but but, but recognize it. You know what? How many of us, are in trouble from a heart standpoint. We get all hung up on cholesterol counts. We get all hung up on fatty content in our food. We get all hung up on all these physical things and we're so careful about what we eat, some of us, about what we eat, what we don't eat. We're so careful about exercise and all the things that we're told to do. And yet here we are and we're in serious, serious danger of a spiritual heart attack. Why? Because we haven't strengthened our heart for the day of tribulation and trials that will come. We're like little kids who at the end of the summer begs their mama, don't send me back to school. I'm not ready to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Hey, you're going to school, so suck it up. You better get ready because the day is coming. Do you not understand what the Word of God teaches? There is only one path that leads to spiritual maturity and growth and James already outlined it in the first chapter when he says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance demonstrate or show its perfect result that you will be perfect and mature, lacking in nothing, that you'll be spiritually mature, that you'll be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you not understand and realize that trials are coming in your life because God's desire is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ? How should we be ready for the day of trial? We must strengthen and establish our hearts. The word of God and prayer gets us ready for that day. There is no human way that anybody who loved their parents could stand and in front of a group of people share how much God has done in their life when you have just lost your father and you've just lost your mother within a three-month period of time without the Spirit of God giving you the strength because your heart has been strengthened. So many of us, we want this dynamic Christian life, but we don't do anything. We don't spend any time watching what we put in. We don't spend any time in the Word of God. We don't spend any time in prayer. We don't spend any time in fellowship with other believers. And we think we're going to grow? No, we're not. Are you in serious danger of a spiritual heart attack? You are if the Word of God and prayer are not part of your daily diet. Do you not understand that? God says you must, if you'll be ready, for the day that trials will come. Because you know what? Man was born for adversity. Trials will come. Are you ready for them? Strengthen your heart. Now, he also switches gears and goes to something that I like, and that is don't complain. What should we be doing in the present tense while we wait for God to do his part? We are to be productive, to continue to do what God has called us to do. We're to be established, strengthening our heart for the day of trial by studying the word of God in prayer and encouragement and fellowship with one another. Let us consider how to stimulate one another with love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. And what else are we supposed to be doing? Don't complain. Verse 9, Don't complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door don't complain what do most people do that are impatient they complain about everything and everybody now some of us certain things i was talking to lynn i said you know what am I a pretty patient person and uh, no that's not a good question to ask if you don't want to hear the answer and uh, but then you know if you want to be open and teachable that's a good one you know and th- there are some things that you know what i'm as patient as can be and there are other things that drive me nuts like stupid people on game shows drive me crazy I mean, don't they weed these people out? I mean, how can you not know that 78% of the atmosphere is nitrogen? I mean, what? How'd you get on there? And how can you phone a friend who's a science teacher that's going, Oh, I think it's carbon. What in the world? I mean, what? That's just the thing that God's... I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, so that'll be all right. You keep praying for me. And the way people drive. What's up with that? Oh, hey, preach it, brother. I hear you right there now. <laughs> I tell you. Although take that fish sticker off your car, my brother. <laughs> we don't you know. Or put it on the window so you can raise it and lower it, you know, at the appropriate time. <laughs> but stop complaining. Hey, we got a cry room up there. I just want to let you know. We got a cry room up top. Cry room for everybody that comes that have little babies that like to cry. We can you can go right up in that little window. And you can can you hear me? No. <laughs> Uh, and you can go right there You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of adding a wine room Not a wine cellar, don't get confused A wine room So when you when you start your whining We're going to send you right up to the wine room We're going to have little ushers who are going to be standing around going Hey, uh, there's one right there a Candidate for the wine room Go, 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 go You know. So anyway, um, stop complaining Stop complaining Yeah, you want a little cheese and crackers with that wine Right, I hear you Okay, stop complaining. Notice, don't complain against one another. Impatient people like to complain. Chronicle groaners, moaning and groaning. But notice this. He says, don't complain that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Have you ever gone to walk into an office and there are people in there talking about something they didn't want you to hear? Have you ever overheard your children on the phone talking about you? when they thought you were safely out of hearing range? I haven't, but I'm sure some of you have. Have you ever been in a position like that where then you walk into the room and these people take on the look of deer in headlights? Hi, what were you guys talking about? Listen, God is standing outside the door. And he's listening to every word that we speak. What is he hearing coming out of your mouth? What is he hearing you say? Are you praising and worshiping and thanking? Are you complaining and bitter and angry and resentful and planning to get even and all those things that the natural person tends to do? God warns us that God is standing outside of our door and he hears everything that we say and he judges us accordingly. Some of us need to be more productive today because today is the only day that that God is... He's giving you the next moment in time, but today we know we have right now in the present tense right at this moment that we need to be established and strengthen our hearts by reading the word of God and spending time with the Lord and walking in obedience with him and praying and fellowship and encouragement with one another we need to stop complaining do you realize there is nothing attractive about a christian who finds that all they do is complain the world is looking for hope the world is looking for joy the world is looking for contentment the world is looking for all the things that we as believers should have to offer them But so oftentimes we fall into the rut, into the pattern, into the habits that have been the habit of some of us before we came to forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Stop complaining and start praising. So as we look at this, we need to recognize and understand that, you know, what are we supposed to be, if you're guilty of impatience, it often leads to other sin in our life, doesn't it? What do you do in the meantime? If you're an impatient person, here's one suggestion. This is a man observed a woman in a grocery store, a three-year-old girl in her basket. As they passed the cookie section, the child asked for cookies. Her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss and complain, and the mother said quietly, "Now, Ellen, we have just three more hours to go through. Don't be upset. it won't take that long." He passed the mother again in the candy owl, and of course, she started to moan and groan when she wasn't able to have any candy. She shouted for candy, she started to throw a tantrum, and when she was told she couldn't have it, she began to cry very loudly. And the mother said again in a very quiet voice, Now, Ellen, don't cry. Only two more hours to go, and then we'll be out of here. So the man again happened to them behind the checkout counter. As you can imagine, all the junk that's up at the checkout counter. And again, the girl was denied what she wanted, and she really threw a fit this time. And she said, Ellen, we'll be through the checkout stand in a few minutes. Then you can go home and have a nice, quiet nap. So the man follows her out and just goes, You know, I was just amazed at, at how you handled yourself. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Ellen. And the mother broke in at that point and said, My little girl's name's Tammy. I'm Ellen. <laughs> Got it? See, that's one way. But I like to do things God's way. Because you can do it when you realize that God is up to something good in your, in your life. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you'll be mature, a mature man or woman of God, because you know that God's hand is in any situation, and he's doing it for his purposes. It's a matter of perspective. And last week and this week, I kind of tied these two together. But it was kind of interesting. It was, a, it was a basically, how, do you, how can you tell how long a missionary's been out in the field? Some of you appreciate this more than others, but it's a matter of perspective. We talked about wealth last week. We're talking about patience this week. And and the first year, the missionary, she finds a fly in her water glass. She pours the whole thing out. The second year, she finds a a fly in her water glass. She reaches in, throws a fly out, and she drinks the water. The third year, she finds a fly in her water glass. She sits there, looks at it, and says, oh, look, soup. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You see, sometimes it takes us a while to begin to see things from God's perspective. Now, see, that was really deep for some of you, and you're going to have to dwell on it for a little while. But you think about it today, at lunch maybe. Um, so that's the point. What's the essence of patience? The essence of patience is what? That we have a long temper, a long fuse. We see life as God sees it. We see the end so that we can get through through today. We see tomorrow as God has outlined it for us so we can get through the trials and the tribulations of today. How do we get through it? By being productive Today. By continuing to do what you know God has called you to do. Not worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow's in God's hands. And whatever he decides to do is fine with you anyway. So you're productive today. You strengthen your heart today. And you prepare for that day in the future where I don't know what the circumstance will be. I'll guarantee you a year ago that our friend didn't realize what she would have to do in the last three months. But she was strengthening her heart. Because she had a dynamic faith and trust in God on a day-to-day basis. And she also got to the point where you know what? You just don't complain. Instead of seeing the fly in the water, you see soup. You see God's hand in it. Somehow or another, you see that God has a purpose in everything that we go through in life, and you praise Him instead of cursing Him. Now you say, you know, instead of instead of of cursing God, we praise God. And the reason that I say that is because the examples that we have of patience are pretty fascinating. The examples of patience. Notice what he says. James says, you know what? Consider the prophets. Consider the Scripture. Go back to the Word of God. Romans 15, 4 says that everything that God has written to us, He's written to us, what? As an example that we can learn from their lives. As an example so that you and I can learn from the lives of those who God has recorded in Scripture. These were real people who lived in real times and endured real circumstances that many of us can relate to. They're not stories. They're not fairy tales. It's not once upon a time there was a man named Noah wasn't once upon a time there was a man named joe wasn't once upon a time in a fairy tale sense but once upon a time there was a man and his name was moses and we can look at his life and learn what it meant to be patient he went to pharaoh and said god has sent me to you to let his people go we must travel three days journey from here and pharaoh said uh no i don't think that's going to work out but he kept promising that it would Then he came back to him and he started to compromise. God says, no, I want my people to go. And Pharaoh came back with a counteroffer. He thought he could negotiate. I'll tell you what, you can just go ahead and worship your God here, but you keep on working. He said, no, God says we must leave. Then he said, well, wait a minute. Then if you got to go, you can go ahead and go, but leave your possessions here. Leave your stuff here. Moses said, no, you don't understand. God says to go, take everything and everybody and go. Then Pharaoh came back again and said, well, wait, wait, leave your kids here. You don't have to go. You can leave them here. They're too young. The journey will be too hard. It's too harsh. It's too far. Leave them here. And Moses said, no, you don't understand. Our God does not have to negotiate with you. He is God and you are not. See, our God does not have to negotiate with any human being who doesn't like what he says in this book. He is not changing it for any of us. He's not buying into, well, I like 1 Corinthians 13 because it's love, but I don't like 1 Corinthians 6 because it has to do with judgment and sin and condemnation for living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. God doesn't negotiate with anyone. He's God. We're not falling in line. See, Pharaoh thought, well, I can get him to compromise. And Moses said, no, you can't. But he kept throwing him a bone and offering him something. And Moses, I'm sure that he got very impatient. But you know what? He realized his part was confront Pharaoh. God's part was Finding a way for them to finally leave. He did what he was supposed to do, and we know because we know the end of the story, God ultimately did what he promised to do and delivered them. He says, Consider the prophets. Go through your Bible and read about the prophets and everything that they went through as examples of patience and the endurance that they showed Elijah and Daniel and Jeremiah and other prophets. Think about Noah. I think about Noah. Can you imagine God said, Hey, you know what, Noah? Be productive today. You are to preach righteousness today. And in the meantime, while you're preaching, build the ark. But God, can you imagine? Some of us, it would kill us. It took 120 years for God to get around to what his final, ultimate result was. Why? Because one day is a thousand years, a thousand years of the day to God. You know, he's not hung up on time like we are. So if God's working in your life, you know what? He's not on the same clock as you. I tell people all the time, look, you know what, and especially in professional sports, man, you know, they're on one team one day, they're on another team another day, they're cut one day, they're waved one day, they're sitting in the lobby all the time, and I tell guys all the time and when I talk to them, look, how many times have we had the same conversation? You are in God's waiting room, and you have a choice. Now, what's interesting is when I first met someone 15 years ago, they paced back and forth. Okay, okay, God, when are you going to get me out of the waiting room? Now, they're finally getting the point where, and I've encouraged them for years to do it, look, you're in God's waiting room. You do all you can do. You go out and seek jobs. You go out and make phone calls. You make your contacts. You have your agents call people, whatever it is, however you do it in your particular business. But in the meantime, while you're in the waiting room, may I suggest picking up a magazine and enjoying the quiet time? Well, well, I don't like to wait. Well, then guess what? God's still not done with you. Now, you're not going to fake him out either by saying, hey, God, you know I like to wait. Just kidding. He knows you. If you don't like to wait, you're still a work in progress. There's some areas in my life I don't like to wait. Guess what? God's going to keep on working on me in those areas until finally I get to the point where I sit down in his waiting room, pick up a magazine, and what I would suggest is you pick up the Word of God, and while you're waiting, strengthen your heart. While you're waiting, spend time with God. While you're waiting, pray. While you're waiting, have fellowship with other believers. While you're waiting, enjoy the time when you're waiting because you know what? Until God says, time's up, it's not up. Prophets were a great example of it. When you have a chance, pick up your Bibles and read about the life of Job. We hear about the patience of Job. You know what? Not many people have the patience of Job. And in fact, Job didn't even have the patience of Job when the story starts. When the story starts, he was impatient with God. In some degree, he was impatient with his friends. He was impatient with everything that was going on. Although, you know what? One thing he did, he never cursed God in the process. He always praised God. His wife said, curse God and die. And he said, you know what? No, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'm going to return. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, he's given, he's taken away. Blessed be God's name. And he continued to praise him. Was it still an experience to go through? Absolutely. Was it still difficult? You better believe it. And for those of you who don't know who Job is, now just consider it your job. See, God's using your job to help develop patience in your life. So we go from Job to job. It was an easy transition. Look, it's spelled the same. It's really simple. That's what he reminded me of. He goes, hey, you know all those building inspectors, Chuck, that you got to deal with? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Developing patience in your life. Thank you. You know those uh, plant check guys at the counter? Yes, uh, same thing there. All righty. Know your employees? Yep, same thing going on there. All right, suppliers? Same thing. Customers? Yep, there too. All righty. <laughs> Thank you. That's the process. You got a boss that's driving you crazy? Hey, it's patience. Patience training, coworker, patience training, neighbor, patience training. We are all in training and those people that drive us nuts are the trainers and we be the trainees and that's just the way it works. So there's Job. Read it on your own because we don't have time because I want to get to the end result of all of this. We saw the essence of patience. The examples are laid out very clearly. Consider the suffering and the patience of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. Certainly we consider Job blessed as he endured this trial that he went through. God doubled everything that he had at the end of all of it. Certainly we consider Noah blessed as we look at the end result. He got on the ark and the other people didn't. I mean, there's a lot of blessings that come with knowing that God's timing is perfect and walking in fellowship with him in obedience with him. They're all blessed. As we look at all these things, we see Job, he's blessed, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Isn't that great? We saw it with the prodigal son that I mentioned, that God is compassionate and he's merciful, and his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't it awesome? Now, the evidence of patience in your life and my life Is summarized in basically one thing. Notice what he says in verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall into judgment. What's the evidence of patience? How do I know if I'm growing more into the image of Jesus, if I'm becoming more and more like Jesus? You know, the bottom line is this. I am able to control my tongue. Isn't that true? Tongue control. The impatient person, man, boom, first thing on their mind comes out of their mouth. But you know, a person who's grown in patience begins to learn how to control their tongue. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 29, but every word that is edifying for the need of the moment. Be kind and patient. Gentle, self-control. What comes out of your mouth? Here's what I'm convinced, and we'll close on this. When you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. When you squeeze a grapefruit, you get grapefruit juice. When you squeeze a lemon, what do you get? Lemon juice. When you squeeze a Christian, what do you get? Whatever's on the inside. Right? And see, as we're squeezed by circumstances that God allows whether it's tribulation or persecution or injustice or people make you promises they didn't follow through, you did work for people, they don't pay you, whatever it is, whatever squeezes you on the outside, whatever comes out is what's really on the inside. And for the believer, you know what should come out of each of us is the fruit of the Spirit. See, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. Is that what comes out of you when you're squeezed by life circumstances. See, it's exciting to realize how practical the Word of God is. When you're experiencing a trial, what comes out of you? See, because what comes out of you is who you really are. The essence of patience is we need to be productive today. We need to be strengthened and established in our heart by spending time in the Word of God in prayer and in fellowship with other believers, living a life of obedience daily. So that when the day of trial comes, we'll be prepared for that moment. We need to stop complaining about the things that God is doing in our life. Don't you realize that? That pipe didn't break. It's not a pipe I'm going to complain about. Hey, you know what? If God can't control a pipe breaking in our house, how's he hold the universe in order? God allows things to happen for his purposes so that we'll mature in our faith. Flat tire? It's no big deal to God. Your boss? your neighbor your spouse your kids your friends your family your relatives whatever it is i mean what, what do you think so hard for god to do don't you realize that god has a purpose in every one of those people that come in contact with us and oftentimes it's to develop patience in our life and to cause growth spiritually stop complaining and start praising god for what he's doing in our life there's no accidents in god's kingdom Anything that goes on has to go across the desk of God. God's got his hand on our thermometer. And being a heating and air conditioning guy, I like to use that. He's got his hand on the thermostat. And he can control whether it's time to turn up the heat or lower it. But his hand is always on the stat, and he's always the one in control. And it would benefit each one of us to praise him more and complain a lot less. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize that those who wait upon the Lord, Isaiah 40 says this, He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will, not, they will walk and not become weary. If you are tired in your journey, you need to turn to the Lord because he promises strength. If you are impatient, you need to grow beyond that so that you become more like Jesus. And until you learn that lesson, God will continue to squeeze you until what comes out of you is the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we just thank you and we praise you and we love you. And we just thank you for all the circumstances and all the things that happen in our life, knowing that you are in control. And we just praise you with our lips. We praise you with our life. We never want to curse you. We never want to turn to you in disgust. We never want to question your timing as far as when justice will occur. Because you tell us that everything's in your hands and in all due time. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we praise you, and we trust you, and we wait upon your timing, and we enjoy the moment as we serve you today. We enjoy the time in in the Word with you and in fellowship with you and with other believers. We enjoy the fact that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we can come to you in prayer. And we just thank you that as we look at this, the evidence of growth in our life is that we can begin to control through your Spirit the things that come out of our mouth. God, I just thank you that who I am today isn't who I was 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And I also praise you that who I am today isn't who I'll be tomorrow as I grow more like Jesus. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Next week is the last week in this series of messages, so I hope you can be here. And on a serious note, we get people that moan and groan all the time and complain about how big this class is and they can't meet anybody, blah, 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 blah. Try to make it Saturday night. It'll be a great time of fellowship to hang around together. You can stand on the wall with me. We can laugh at people.